All right. Good afternoon, everybody. Happy Wednesday. I'm not used to saying that on here because we are Concrete Jungle, New York baseball podcast, coming to you live from the third floor of the North Park Building in the FingerLakes1.com studios. I am Paul Russo. Across from me, Kyle Evans. Kyle, how you doing? I'm doing wonderful. I'm glad to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, I've wanted to do one of these shows probably a few weeks ago. Yeah. Just because I miss baseball, not anything um, about you. I know you know, you know you've been really busy and stuff, but <laughs> here we are. We're we're back, boys. Well, I, Let's go. Well, I miss you being across from next to you, across from you, whenever. But, yeah, and this uh, is a new setup. I like it. Yeah. So uh, we we're more on the up and up here. Uh, yeah, so you mentioned, right, I mean, we have spring training kind of right around the corner-ish. We're within the month window, so that means more regular shows here coming up soon enough. Yeah, like three and a half weeks, I think, from yeah. uh, pitchers and catchers reporting, and yeah. then we got the World Baseball Classic. I'm excited for that, too. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. There's a um, separate discussion there, but we got, you talk about soccer and World Cup having a group of death. There was a group of death this year in the World Baseball Classic that I would not want to be a part of. Yeah, it's definitely going to be fun to watch. Right. And, it feels like it's been forever since we've had the World mm-hmm. Baseball Classic. Nate Sharman, producer, you'll hear his voice, I'm sure, at certain points throughout this. Nate, appreciate you, as always, behind the scenes. Um, looking forward to that. So we do have um, – it's interesting. It's going to be a, what I call a backloaded episode, our main discussion point, because the Hall of Fame announcing the class of 2023 next week. And although maybe not necessarily exactly Yankee or Met – Syracuse Met or Red Wing related. It's the biggest baseball topic really kind of at this point now going forward, so we decide we should discuss that. But do we do have some news and notes here to discuss for our usual covered teams. And let's jump right into that. Um, a couple of weeks ago now, actually probably closer to 10 days now uh, for the New York Yankees. Uh, acquisition at the deadline last year, Frankie Montas. Report comes out. Uh, that he's still dealing with some inflammation in his right shoulder, his pitching shoulder, uh, and that he could miss the first month of the season. It's reported that he's actually anywhere in the window between 8 to 10 weeks behind in his training and workout load for the offseason currently. Um, Obviously, didn't go as well as I think many Yankee fans has hoped. Uh, in the second half of last year. That being said, he was slotted to be the fourth or fifth starter for this Yankee team this year. And look, to get off the to get the season going and for what the Yankees had hoped for this year, probably not the news that they wanted. Yeah, um, the first thing that jumped out to me right after I heard that is, um, have the Yankees known about this that he's been behind? I would I would assume so. And um, if so, uh, are they going to be maybe aggressive on the trade market when it comes to pitching? Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of people are saying, yeah, they have Domingo Herman and Clark Schmidt. Right. But you insert one of them in, okay, and then say like halfway through April, another guy gets hurt. Then you got Domingo Herman and Clark Schmidt in your rotation. Which has been the Yankees' MO that's, the past couple of years. That certainly weakens the rotation. So I'm wondering if Brian Cashman is trying to look for another starter via the trade market, or are they actually really confident with Domingo Herman and Clark Schmidt? Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, there are options in-house, right, that the Yankees could go with. I don't know at this point who I think you could have in theory be available trade market-wise that wouldn't cost, I think, <laughs> like a Clark Schmidt. Yeah, that's, that's the thing, too, why I think the Brian Reynolds trade hasn't went down because I'm sure like Schmidt and Herman could possibly be part of a big package um, back to the Pirates. 
So I think um, with the Montas news, uh, mm -hmm. that kind of holds him off too because I think it was also reported the Pirates wanted uh, young arms, if I if I remember correctly. So uh, yeah, I mean they they wanted. I I, th I mean it was anywhere from. What I mean, I've I've heard news that they wanted both Dominguez and Volpe to yeah. stuff where it's not maybe quite as high, but yeah. Uh, quick little rundown here of, of, of starters who are available that maybe it, it might turn into say a uh, maybe a long term type deal potentially. Right, Mike Miner's still available. I, I don't think the Yankees would exactly go after him, but. It's an interesting spot because, look, he's up there in age, sure, but he's serviceable. He's not gonna, he's not gonna deliberately lose you a game. Yeah. Right. I mean, other guys, Michael Waka, Yankees saw a ton of him last year against Boston. Dylan Bundy, Chris Archer, um, and then outside of that, it it gets sideways kind of quick. So. Yeah. Um, I would imagine they'd go that route potentially more on the free agent side of things than maybe trade. That being said, those guys also have double-digit potential hits in the money side of things. So I don't know if that's the right move. I mean, the guy, one of the names that jumps out to me in that sense is a guy like Zach Grinke, right? He's available still. He's 39. It'd be like probably a one-year deal, but his market value is $10.5 million. Still, yeah. The biggest thing with him though is—is is he gonna be comfortable in New York? Is right. he gonna like New York? Well, he's a strange um, dude anyway. I don't yeah. think it matters. That's why I, I don't know. But yeah, I, I think it's interesting to see. You know, we're getting very close to spring training. Are the Yankees confident with what they have? Um, you know, right now it doesn't seem like a big deal. But like I said, if another injury pops up, right. suddenly they have three legit starters and two guys that are, you know, they're good. They're they have potential. But you know, I don't know if you would trust them um, for a significant amount of time if. Those guys missed a lot of time. Definitely. No, I agree with you 100% there. Uh, let's head over to Queens now for the New York Mets. Uh, they themselves have had a fairly active uh, past couple weeks for different reasons. The main one, Carlos Correa, but that will be the last point really touching here. We'll start with Pete Alonso. Uh, he was the main guy that could have gone to arbitration for the Mets. And they avoid it. They agree to a $14.5 million deal for the 2023 season. Uh, they avoid obviously going to arbitration. And to me, it's a bit of a olive branch type scenario. Um, I think a little bit was probably they saw what happened in the Bronx last year with Judge and the Yankees. And... They probably don't want to upset what will be their main target to keep in a Mets uniform next offseason. Yeah, can you believe he only made uh, $7.4 last year? Crazy. And then it basically doubled. So, right. um, yeah, I think, I mean, obviously he had a really good season, but I think like what you're saying, uh, you know, they wanted to basically please him and give him the money that he probably wanted, and they did just that. I mean, you mentioned, right, 7.4, but maybe the crazier part in all of this, right, is you look through his, like, career total earnings when you think about it, and he had that nuts rookie year. It was literally on the bottom rung of the rookie pay scale at $555,000 for that. Go to 2020, different story because obviously everything was kind of prorated out for 2020. You know, he made, we'll call it just a quarter of a million dollars for the sake of time. And then 21, 
He only made $676,000. Kind of nuts. Think about the production. Um, but to me, like I said, I, I think this was more they were looking at what happened with the Yankees a little bit. Because, look, to, to be honest, Dom Smith's completely out of the picture now. There's no immediate true threat to Pete Alonso. It's not like Daniel Vogelbach will become a gold glover in the field and kind of make that portion of Pete Alonso dispensable, right? That's just not going to happen. Uh, so I think the only way anything feasibly could happen is maybe if they, I don't know, Mark Vientos maybe kind of comes up and just is so good defensively that Pete kind of goes full-time DH type thing, but I don't see that happening. So to me, this was a sign of really both. In all honesty, I think this was a big two-way street one, right, where I feel like Pete probably could have gotten a couple extra million dollars more if he really wanted to. Yeah. Right, except the Mets were willing to pony up to that number. So Pete's like, "Let's do this." It's I, to me, it's just a good faith act all the way around. And we know how those arbitration hearings go. Um, you right. never really want to get to that point. I mean, um, like I, like I said, the perfect example of it's the Darren Judge situation last year. Yep, and um, obviously he becomes a free agent in 2024. Mm-hmm. So do you think they get an extension done really soon, or is it going to play out like the Judge thing? And yeah, I I don't know. I don't know if it plays out soon. But to me, I think it's more of a, we, we can sit down at the table together. We can probably figure something out. Yeah. You know, like I said, I, I don't know maybe if it's necessarily it's right away. But I think it's one that's like, yeah, we can get this done together. But then at the same point, maybe he does want to test free agency, right. you know. That's, that's also a thing with people, you know, they might love where they're at or, you know, the team that they're on. But maybe they just want to see what they can get out there. And I mean, look. I think at the end of the day, right, we never know what could happen when you're playing. And this might be it for, or, you know, Pete Alonso. You never know. Yeah. You got to go out and get what you can get while you can. I think that's lost sometimes on when players do these types of deals sometimes. So Exactly. Obviously, it's a little bit different with, you know, these in-between deals to avoid arbitration and stuff like that. Uh, Mets uh, made a bit of a free agent splash this morning of sort. Um they were in on Aaron, or on Adam Duvall, missed out on him. He's going to Boston. And I believe Andrew McCutcheon as well. Right, McCutcheon back to Pittsburgh. Uh, and I'm not saying, oh, you got the next best thing, but you signed Tommy Pham. It's a one-year deal. It's a $6 million deal. It's pending a physical as everything goes now. But, um, look, Pham has had some really fantastic peaks in his playing career. He's also had some really bad valleys in his playing career. But this is a guy who more than likely will be the third outfielder for the Mets. Odds are starting day left fielder, I would assume, for them. Uh, but kind of kind of brings in my thought here of they're probably doing this to compete out with a couple guys. But um, nonetheless, Pham spent last year with Cincinnati and Boston. Uh, the Cincinnati stop did not go as well as it, as it could have. Boston, though, he really turned things around the second half of the year. Nothing nuts or crazy, but enough that it got his average back above the Mendoza line end of the year, batting 237. And for me, it kind of probably goes into a Mets team where he's – an afterthought's probably not the right term, but he's not going to be the main focal point like he was in Cincinnati, for example, where he can kind of go and probably do his thing where it's just be a solid hitter. Yeah, so you would agree that he's going to start over Mark Hanna on opening day? Um, so Canna is the fourth outfielder. You know, you got Nimmo in center, right. Marte in right. 
Yeah, more than likely. Yeah, because I would say Canada like kind of struggled mm-hmm. at, at times last year. Well, I think too a lot of it depends on maybe pitching as well in a way because this also puts Darren Ruff in a bit of a dispensable spot. Yeah, I think um, when Canna's in left, um, yeah. Fam will start against probably left-handed pitching because right. if you look at his stats, he's hit really good uh, left-handed pitching over the last few years. Yeah, and that's where I was kind of thinking, right, is where where does this really fit out because the Mets have different DH options available, which is a good thing. Yeah, because you can the, always get the best lineup available to you. Yeah, and then if they're like I keep mentioning injuries, you know, they have you know someone to slide right in. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not they're not um, you know looking for help in the minors. They got someone right there ready to come in. Right. So, um, I guess I'll pose this question to you. I've always been a Tommy Fam guy. In all honesty, uh, like I said, I think his peaks. He's when he when he when he has his peaks, he is about as good of an out, offensive outfielder that you can have. But man, when they're low, it, it it gets bad. Like Cincinnati last year was bad. You know. Yeah, um, I I think it's a good signing only because it's one year and it's six million. Um, he is it's 30- kind of a proven deal, right? Yeah, and he is thirty five years old. Um, he hit two thirty six last year, but his power seemed to still be there. He drove in sixty three RBIs mm-hmm. or runs, I should say. Um, so, yeah, I don't think it's a bad sign at all. And obviously, uh, I probably would have liked uh, McCutcheon maybe more. Right. But um, well, I think probably everybody would have. <laughs> but, yeah. The only, the only person happy in this room, probably, that McCutcheon is back in Pittsburgh is one Nate Sharman. He's yeah. coming home. <laughs> <laughs> but, so. yeah, not a bad, not a bad signing for uh, no. the Mets at all. All right, wrap this up with the Mets here a little bit with Carlos Correa. Saga's finally over. He agrees on a six-year deal with the Twins. The average annual value is pretty much the same he would have gotten with the Mets or the Giants. Have to include the Giants a little bit here only because they were the initial triggers on this. It's interesting. Um, The Mets and the Giants apparently use the same doctor for the physical. Um, The Twins, I guess, I think they used him as an influence uh, but it's fascinating, six-year deal as opposed to, say, 10 or 13, like what he was looking at with the Mets or the Giants, only to get six. But the average annual value still remains the same. Yeah. So basically it goes from you know a 12-year deal to a six-year deal, Correct. which cuts it right in half. Um, um, I get where Mets fans are coming from. You know, they, they were excited at the point where they're like, well, just give them the money, just give them the years. But... I guess the physical is really concerned for the Mets and the Giants, and I guess you gotta, you know, kind of believe in what the medical staff is saying and the doctors are saying, and um, you know, like imagine in three years with the Twins, if all of a sudden his career, you know, he just starts falling apart, and then you're gonna be like super excited as a Met fan that you know you your your owner didn't actually uh, you know pull the trigger and get the deal done. Right. So, um, but I don't know. We'll see what happens. He's still a really good player. He seems like he's not going downhill at any point um, soon, but. You know, you never know. Now, to be fair, because there's about to be somebody out there that's like, the deal is longer than six. Yeah, they have four team options that could extend it out to ten. But that's obviously team. They're not player. They're team options. So it's interesting. And I, I like I said, like I, I brought this up, you know, a couple different times, whether it was all fair to you guys or, or you know, on different other platforms here at FL1, like, he hasn't missed a game. He literally has not missed a game since he injured this ankle in high A back in 2014. But clearly there's something up that triggers are going off for people. 
And that's fair. I'm not going to sit here and tell you how to act or how not to act. Everybody reacts differently. Everybody's body reacts differently and feels differently. I do find it interesting, like you said, though, six years. Six years puts him at his age 30, we'll call it age 34 season, but middle of age 35 is when it will technically end, the six years. To be on a leg that long, if there's issues right now, especially at a key position at shortstop, that's tough. Yep, um, I agree. Uh, that's why I think, the, honestly, the Mets made the right choice as bad as, you know, they wanted Correa. But I'm also surprised that they wouldn't have gave him a six-year deal like the Twins did. Right. Um, I didn't really hear much about, like, if they how like how close they were to getting another deal done. But um, if the Mets would have went six years, would he be a Met right now? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's something that I don't know if we'll ever find out, but right. it's interesting. To wrap it up, where do you think this kind of puts the Mets now long-term shortstop-wise? Because you obviously have Lindor there, but you have a couple prospects still kicking around, right? Murciano comes to mind, obviously, but are you going to put him over Lindor when Lindor looks as though he's right to the ship pretty quick? It's, it's an interesting spot because, look, Carrillo was not going to play shortstop for the Mets. He was going to be playing third base. Yep. Similar to what he does in international competition for Puerto Rico. So, to me anyway, I don't think it necessarily sways anything for the Mets. If anything, it might change up the way they kind of look at second and third base going forward, though. Yeah, and there's all these rumors saying that, you know, Manny Machado potentially to New York next year, you know, because he's a free agent coming up. Um, I don't know if they would do that, but if they did, I think that right there solves your issue. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting to see how the left side of the infield looks um, past this upcoming season. It'll be interesting. I, I think um, they have enough young guys around, too, if they want to go that route, they can do it. But I, the way it sounds, Manny walked out of that San Diego deal, and if that's the case, I, I have a hard time believing, unless he really feels comfortable going back to Baltimore, and Baltimore ain't going to pony up, I don't think. Yeah, to go back to Baltimore, I I think he ends up in in Queens. Yeah, and then obviously Shohei Otani is a big well, thing with yeah, the Mets. I mean, you got uh, the pot, and that's the thing with the Padres, and that's a separate discussion. But they already sound like they're trying to this reports, figure out the assets to get him. Reports saying that the Mets are going to be all in on Shohei and uh, Machado. I don't want to be the that guy, but if you're if your team name is the Padres, the Dodgers, the Mets, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Braves. The Cubs, the White Sox, the Astros, et cetera, et cetera. And you aren't trying to figure out a way to go on for Otani. I don't think you are going about winning baseball games correctly. <laughs> yeah, we thought the you know the salary is bad right now. They're going to have yeah. to pay a lot of money. He's, he's going to be the first $500 million guy. Yeah. It's going to happen. All right. Let's uh, transition over to our minor league teams, our friends along, <clears throat> excuse me, I-90. No, nothing of worthy note for the Mets, uh, the Syracuse Mets, which, hey, sometimes silence is a good thing this time of year. <laughs> so, uh, but back in December, the, the Nationals were the only team, one of two teams that didn't announce their minor league awards for the year. Uh, outside of one, uh, Jake Alou got the National Way Award, which uh, we, we did announce, but he was formally named it uh, that last week of December when they announced their awards. Uh, pretty much given to the guy who exemplifies you know dedication determination 
responsibility, respect, all this type of stuff that embody what being a professional is. And uh, look, he was a guy who rocked it through the, the system last year, name-wise anyway, and uh, has been justifiably awarded a spot on the 40-man with Washington this year. Yeah, and if I'm not wrong, didn't he start the year in Double A? Yeah, yeah, and he just actually, I think he technically started at High Wilmington. Actually, I could be wrong. Though. Yeah, he moved through the system really quick, and then when he got to Triple A, I was like, oh, he'll probably struggle, right. you know, starting off. But no, he literally every night seemed like he was coming through big for the team and uh, helped the team win. I think a lot of games and um, late in the late in the year. Definitely, he had one rough week in August that kind of tanked what his average probably could have been, but that's baseball. But for what he did for the Red Wings last year, kind of stabilized that infield. No honesty. Jake Knoll ended up getting hurt, obviously, in July. That benched him the rest of the year. I mean, guys like Lucius Fox ended up getting hurt. But Jake Alou, when he got up there, he was he was in there every day. And that's key. Uh, no other Red Wings got awards except one. Cade Cavalli was named the Pitcher of the Year of the National System. 6-4, uh, and four, a three seven one ERA, 104 strikeouts and 20 starts for the Red Wings last year before getting called up to the Parrot Club late in the year. You have to give a hat tip to Cade. Rough start to the year. I mean, we were openly wondering what was going on with him, and he got the ship righted pretty quick uh, by the time he got probably about five or so starts under his belt. I think a little bit was. I, I still think it was a little bit of sticker shock not being – immediately on Washington's roster, you know, to get going. But, boy, did he get the ship righted right, and he was a big reason why, you know, the Red Wings were, for the better part of the first half of the year, top three of the standings. And really, to be fair, kind of still ended up until the final couple weeks of the year. Yeah, I think his ERA was like uh, six-something in April, and then I think between, like, May and July, he went on this really good stretch where, you know, he was helping the team win games, his ERA was low, he was getting those weekly awards, um, you know, in the International League East. Um, he just, I think he had a really good year, and then he got called up late in the year because, you know, he kind of um, deserved it the, when he had that stretch. So, yeah, I think it was a pretty good year for him, and we'll see how he does this upcoming season. Yeah. But uh, at some point I would think he needs to um, get promoted and stay there in, in, in the big leagues. I would imagine that's this season. I would hope, knock on wood. Uh, but and he's also got a ton of control left on him technically since he has low mileage at the big league level. So, um, do want to pose this question before we get to the Hall of Fame stuff? Uh, slowly but surely, big league teams have been announcing their minor league staffs for the year. Have not seen anything on the Nationals or the Syracuse Mets. Uh, in your mind, would we anticipate seeing Matt Lecroy back with the Red Wings and Kevin Bowles with the S Mets? Yeah, I don't think we're going to see um, changes at the manager position, um, but I think like hitting coaches, pitching coaches, stuff like yeah. that will probably change. Yeah. But um, definitely with Rochester, I think LaCroix comes back. But maybe maybe the Mets do make a change at manager. But I think it, I don't know. I just I think their pitching really hurt them all year, and it wasn't really on the manager or anything like that. Right. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, I started pulling Kevin Bowles. It was his first year at AAA level managing. Um, and in his defense, I mean, they, the offense really came on pretty much post-May yep. to a point that they were, I mean, they were battling for, like, top of the international league stuff for averages of month and players of months and stuff like that, so. Yeah, and they're, I felt like towards, like, the middle of the summer, they are trying to win games 10-9, 10-7, because their pitching just wasn't there. Right. All right, so I suppose it's time for what we've all been waiting for in a way here. 
the 2023 Baseball Hall of Fame is set to announce the class of this year next week. A lot of interesting names on the list. Um, a lot of, I wouldn't say controversy per se, but um, it's certainly kind of stuff that a lot of people are kind of wondering about. Okay, who deserves to be where and everything else. So, quick look at the ballot as a whole. Only one player is eligible to outright fall off this year, and that's Jeff Kent. He's in his 10th year of eligibility. He's the only one uh, that could fall off just based on duration on the ballot. Your first-year players, Carlos Beltran, John Lackey, Jared Weaver, Jacoby Ellsbury, Matt Cain, Johnny Peralta, Jason Worth, J.J. Hardy, Mike Napoli, Bronson Arroyo, R.A. Dickey, Francisco Rodriguez, Andre Ether, and Houston Street. Uh, those are your first-year guys, and obviously we'll touch on uh, some of the returning guys, the ballots year in and year out here. Uh, of the returning guys last year, nobody broke the 70% threshold, uh, and in order to stay on the ballot, you must eclipse 5% of the ballot. Okay, so how do we want to do this fully here? Should I just Do we want to rattle off uh, who, uh, who we would fictitiously vote for here? first and then dive in i think that probably would be the best way to do it yeah I all right say. so i guess i'll go first with my ballot and um this is in i guess technically alphabetical where i didn't really realize it so uh, first for me is mark burley i did you have the option of um if you're a voter you can vote up to 10 players initially when i was looking at the ballot i had a tough time kind of finding 10 guys i ended up getting 10 guys that i once i looked I thought Hall of Fame worthy. Mark Burley uh, leads that off. Obviously, an ABC order had a 214 and 160 record. Obviously, maybe that doesn't necessarily fly off the books of you, but five-time All-Star, multiple Gold Gloves, World Series winner, pseudo hitters, including the 18th perfect game in MLB history. I have Todd Helton on there, um, and if you want to complain about Coors, it's fine. But he has his comps equate out to Jeff Bagwell, Edgar Martinez. Vladimir Guerrero, Larry Walker, Jim Rice, and Fred McGriff, all of which are going to be in the Hall of Fame together here in this year. I have Andrew Jones, who 434 home runs, five-time All-Star, but most known for his defense, 10-time Gold Glover. Uh, his war, he has a 62.7 war, but a lot of that's based off of defense metrics. Uh, this is where we probably start getting into some controversy with me. <laughs> I have Jeff Kent arguably one of the best offensive second basemen of all time, 2000 NL MVP, a five-time All-Star. I have Andy Pettit. I, I, to me, I might be seen in the Hall of Fame. I might be seen in the Hall of Fame. Pettit's probably a better pitcher than him. Uh, 256 and 153, a three-time All-Star, five-time World Series champion, 2001 ALCS MVP, and who many consider this to be the best postseason pitcher of all time in the modern era. Uh, I have Manny Ramirez, who could just flat-out hit 69.3 war, a 3.12 career average, 12-time All-Star, two-time World Series MVP champion, and the 2002 AL batting champion, AL or World Series MVP in 04 as well. Alex Rodriguez. <laughs> Hard to go against the numbers, though. 117.6 war, over 3,000 hits at 31.15, 696 home runs. A three-time MVP, a 14-time All-Star, one-time World Series champion in 2009, two gold gloves, 10 silver sluggers, a three-time player of the year, and the 1996 AL batting champion at 20 years old, batting 358. I have Scott Rowland, who 
this is probably more of a sabermetric pick, as people would call it. But look, he has one of the higher wars of the people on the ballot at 70.1. He was the NL Rookie of the Year in 97, a seven-time All-Star World Series champion, eight-time Gold Glover as well. So he could do it with the bat and in the field. Gary Sheffield I have as well. Man could just flat out hit. I don't know what else to kind of tell you. Tell people with that. 500 career home runs, a nine-time All-Star World Series champion, and also the 92 NL batting champion with a 333 average. And then my last guy, number 10, is Billy Wagner. Now this one's interesting. Billy's gained some steam over the years. 422 saves, a 2.31 career ERA. Seven-time All-Star was 1999 Relief Man of the Year. Um, and his peak years are equatable to Trevor Hoffman's. So that would be my ballot. Yeah, I think ours are pretty similar for the most part. Um, I think one of the differences is Carlos Beltran. Yeah. Um, the reason for that is he's one of eight players in MLB history with 300 home runs, uh, with over 300 home runs and over 300 stolen bases. And then of his 435 career home runs, that's fourth all time among switch hitters. Yeah. And, you know, he's a postseason legend. He, I think his career postseason average is 307. Um, and if Andre Dawson is a Hall of Famer, I would say that he is. Agreed. Um, and then Jimmy Rollins, mm-hmm. um, I would say that he's one of the greatest shortstops, one of the greatest shortstops in the last 25 years, you know, switch hitter. He was really good at stealing bases. He was a power hitter. Um, he ranked top five among shortstops um, in extra base hits in MLB history. Um, I just think those are some good reasons why he should have, uh, or he should get the consideration for the ballot. Um, and I think all the rest are uh, we do agree on. Um, I had obviously like a Rod, Pettit, right. Sheffield, Helton, Jones, Ken, Roland. It's tough for me because I, I've kind of waned on guys. Like I had Omar Vizquel for the longest time on there, and I think for me, a lot of it was defensive based. And I know it's tough because, I mean, I have Andrew Jones in there, but he also had offensive numbers to back it up. Um, you know, the name, two of the names that kind of stick out to me, Beltron. Beltron will get more than 5%, I would imagine, to stay on the ballot. Yeah. I think it's tough for me because, to me, he, he, should, he would make my ballot, but he's kind of down at the bottom below the 10. Torrey Hunter, for me, also is on there. You think he'll stay on the ballot, though? Hunter? Hunter's a tough spot. He got 5.3 last year to stay on his third year, so I would imagine it might carry over this year. The other guy, and this is the intriguing one to me, that um, we didn't get any discussion on, Bobby Abreu. Now, he's this will be his fifth year on the ballot. Uh, he got 8.6% of the vote last year. He has a 60.2 war, um, which is I wouldn't say middle of the road for the guys he's had, but it, it, it kind of sits above a couple other guys, you know, that, that made my ballot anyway. I mean, Mark Burley has a 59.1 war, so it kind of tells you, I guess, that in that way. But, look, he, he, he was 30 hits shy of 2,500, a career 291 hitter, but at his peak was really, really good. Yeah, I would agree with you. Um, I I would think that he would stay on the ballot, but who knows? I right. mean, sometimes crazy things happen with with this voting stuff, so we'll have to see. Um, I suppose to wrap up the discussion, we can do it this way, and this is where I, I know Nate can test very hard, and I do agree with him uh, in this sense. The Hall of Fame and, and the voters really have come under scrutiny now for – a number of years, and they, they will get it this year because I'm going to wrap it up also with another question. 
is it the Hall of Fame or Hall of Who We Like and Hall of Good Character? Because, look, we, <laughs> I go through this every year with people. The Hall of Fame currently has people who are racist, bigots, sexual deviants, drug users, you name it. It's in the Hall of Fame. Okay? And this is where I know Nate will chime in. I still very much so disagree that Barry Bonds is not in. I very much so disagree that Roger Clemens is not in, among other people. I mean, I've been pounding the drum on guys, and again, it, the fact of the matter is it's a shame that Dave Parker more than likely will be dead by the time he gets in. Dick Allen is dead, and he's not in and should be in. We're lucky that Fred McGriff's getting in via the Veterans Committee, <laughs> and he's still with us. You know, to tie it up with this, do we have anybody actually get into the Hall of Fame this year from the from the ballot? I think this is a year that we could just see Fred McGriff get in on the Veterans Committee, and that's it. It shouldn't be that way. I mean, Alex Rodriguez should be in, no problem. Manny Ramirez should be in, no problem. At, at minimum, those two should be in, no problem. It's just that we have the whole entire steroid debate come up, and to me, it's part of the game, and it's whatever. And it, it's tough because, look, we bring up a guy like Pete Rose. And, Kyle, I'm assuming you've been to the Hall of Fame, right? You have not? I have not. Wow. We need to change that. Nate, have you been to the Baseball Hall of Fame? I have not. Okay. So, in the Baseball Hall of Fame, they have literal exhibits for Pete Rose. They have Pete Rose jersey, bat, helmet, hat, you name it. It's, at a, it's in an exhibit in case it says Pete Rose, okay? They have Barry Bonds jersey, bat, helmet, elbow guard, in exhibit. They have same thing with Clem. I could go on, right? But the fact of the matter is, with, with that in there and with them not having a plaque like they should be in the hall, the Hall of Fame to me has turned slowly and more surely into just a glorified museum. So I guess the question I pose to you, Kyle, and Nate, if you want to chime in, you certainly can because I, I agree with some of the stuff you said off air. Do we have anybody get in off this ballot, one? And two, is it slowly just becoming less and less of a recognizable feat to be, to be in the Hall of Fame as a player? Yeah, um, I don't know if we get anyone um, off the ballot. Um, but I agree, there's, there's people in the Hall of Fame that shouldn't be in there, and there's people that deserve to be in there. I do believe Barry Bond should be a Hall of Famer. Um, I think you would agree too. I and Nate agrees. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my take on it. But um, Nate, if you want to add something, you can. Yeah, it just doesn't make much sense to me why he's not in the Hall of Fame. I mean, we've already we've gone through and we've everyone's accepted and Barry Bonds even has accepted that you know back in those days you know people were cheating and that's and that's okay at this point. You know, it's it's something that's in the past at this point. How can you just erase history? I know we. It's 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 parallels to other things besides you know baseball, but I, it's, it's something that happened, and it's something I think that should be recognized, because I, I think he. I mean, he, what, what's our status on if Barry Bonds didn't cheat? If he was placed in the MLB today, where do you think he would re reside? I think that's so, the big question. Now that so I think about it, I know Kyle, you have a point here, but I will, I'll answer it quickly with this. I've always remarked re remarked back to you take Barry Bonds at the end of 1997. Dick Roger Clemens at the end of 1907. That that time is when it's greatly recognized that they were probably for sure at least starting to take steroids at that point, if not already had. But 
hypothetically, they both get hit by a bus and die, they're in the Hall of Fame. And it's yeah. not even a discussion. It's it's a full stop there in the Hall of Fame. So yeah, I, I don't I, I'm with you. I don't I don't I can't erase history. The fact of the matter is it was part of the game. Was it right? No. But it was part of the game. And it's not like he was the only one doing it. No. I think I think that's where my argument lies. No. And um, look, we have guys in there that were like known drug users, um, greenies as they were called, from the fifties through the seventies. You know, uh, you got guys in there who, trust me, are known users of that, and it's a stimulant. Maybe not like steroids, but it's a stimulant. It gets you more. Fo- it's a hyper-focused thing. It gets you trained to be more on the ball. And if you don't think that that's a performance enhancer, then steroids shouldn't be a performance enhancer either in your mind. So you put A-Rod on your ballot, obviously, as we kind of already talked about, but do you think he actually makes it? I don't. No. No, that's that, That's why I posed the question, do you think anybody from this ballot this year gets in at this yeah. point? Well, at least in 2023 gets in. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if A-Rod ever will get in. I don't think mm-hmm. he will. No, I, I, He's hated by so many people. If yeah. Bonds didn't get in, he's not getting in. But a lot of people hate Jack Morris, and he's in there. You know, I don't know. It, it's it's tough, and I, I, to to a point that Nate you set off air. Probably gonna be a case again where a lot of these people are dead by the time they actually get that plaque where they deserve to be in, in Cooperstown, which is ridiculous in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. It's a lot of old dudes who I, I don't know what standards they're upholding at this point, but hey, you know it's whatever. Yep. All right, so that will wrap up Concrete Jungle for today. Um, so obviously, probably nothing in the next couple weeks here, but as we get closer to spring training, we'll definitely be coming back with more stuff. Uh, as stuff slowly gets announced and we have everything. We'll be going two a week right away, but certainly one a week uh, as spring gets going. Um, anything uh, before we head out of here, Kyle? I know you've been, you've been busy. We, we ought to give a tip of the hat to you for the high school content, but... Uh, Stuff never stops. I mean, you you got the Tommy Pham stuff out there pretty quick. Yeah, um, obviously, there, it seems like there's always news in the sports world, um, no matter if it's signings or injuries. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm excited for baseball. Um, I love you know hockey and you know football, but I think baseball is just summer baseball at the stadium is the best, in my opinion. Hell yeah, supreme. Nate, appreciate it as always behind the scenes. What you got before we head out? Uh, go Sabres. All right, fair How's enough. that work? Oof. Oh, uh, Yikes. I'll allow it. They might be playing they might be playing at what is it now? Coca Cola Park in Buffalo, so Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did they really change that name? Yeah, it's not, actually it's no, not but, is it Sailing Sailing? Field. I don't I don't know, what's the naming rights? Okay, now we have to do this quick before we go. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure it's still Sailing Good news. It's gotta it's still be Sailing Field. Sailing field. <laughs> I thought it was Coke Park. I thought it reverted back for some reason, but why I'm here. <laughs> All right. Appreciate you, Nate Sharman, as always, behind the scenes. Kyle Evans, appreciate you as always. For everybody else, for everybody else, I'm Paul Russo. Fantastic week, everybody. Like, share, subscribe. Catch up anytime. YouTube, Spotify, Anchor. We'll talk to everybody later on down the road.